folks, welcome to the podcast about Catholic things, and I am Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... I'm Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome, everybody. And uh, probably if you, like, compare this podcast to the last couple of them, there's a remarkable uh, difference in quality, because we were recording different ways the past two times. And uh, hopefully we get back to normal doing it this way. <laughs> yeah, did you get the last two posts that I haven't... Uh... Yeah, they're online. Oh, okay, good. Except I, the thing is, uh, doing it this way, the way we're recording, where I record my stream, you record yours, and then I join them together, it takes like three times longer. Right, right, I, uh, understandably. But, uh, it but does the quality is much better. better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so um, I want to read you a poem. And you tell me okay. what you think of this poem. Let's hear it. Um, tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in a place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a song? <laughs> I thought that was a song. I yeah. thought that was a like a Protestant, a Puritan American song. Yeah, actually the Shakers wrote it. Shakers, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was at morning mass once and that song came on and that was the entrance procession song. And it's For in, mass? Yeah. It's in uh, most of the Catholic psalm books. Huh. No and, kidding. And people sing it. Wow. It's so That's stupid. A, <laughs> it doesn't seem like that. I can't First believe all, how seems, stupid it is. It seems largely meaningless. I mean, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, why is it a gift to be simple? I don't think that's I, a gift to be. I think it's a curse. I mean, it's like I don't know. It's it a gift to be in the, in the sense smart. of like Jesus said, you have to be like a little child to enter the kingdom or something like that. I, I, I guess. But he didn't a, say anything about simple. Simple, no. In fact, kids are pretty complex. Yeah, if you, if you have it. kids, you don't think they're simple. Anyone who has kids doesn't think that. <laughs> That's true. Oh well. Uh, but that introduces us to the topic today, which is liturgical music. And yeah. I, I really know almost nothing about it, but I, I have some opinions like about that song that we just talked about. That uh, it's just uh, today's liturgical music. It's I, I don't know. It's almost sad. It's uh, let's say it it's it it's it's almost as if people who pick the music are doing everything they can to hide the liturgy. It's like they're they're trying, you know. Well, that too. And I'm not even it, talking it, about that. I I'm just looking at the music itself and the lyrics and their their artistic yeah. value is pathetic. Yeah. They all sound right. like Barney right. songs. <laughs> you ever hear? Uh, you ever hear one called "The Lord of the Dance"? That I thought that was a a dancing uh, Irish guy, a guy who tap dances. No, 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 no. It's uh, let me Lord see here. Lord of the Dance. Uh, no, I think that's the name of it. Yeah, here it is. 
You know, it could be an Irish guy because it's by a group called the Dubliners. Well, there's I danced, a... I danced in the morning when the world was begun, and I danced in the in the moon, and the stars and the sun, and I came down from heaven and danced on the earth at Bethlehem. I had my birth. Okay, so it's clearly about Christ, but uh, dance, dance then whenever wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be. I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. That's so terrible. <laughs> That's as bad as simple gifts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, what are people thinking? I don't know. I don't know. You know, how long does a priest have to go to school in order to be a priest? Oh, at least uh, there's the the standard four years, you know, that everybody has to do college, and then he's got extra years beyond that. I think it's at least... Uh, I think it's after, at least eight. Aside from high school, I think it's at least eight years. And then usually, I would hope they. I think they they go for extra training for certain things after that. You know, mm-hmm. um, you'd think someone in college for eight years would develop more of a sophisticated taste. But this is the you, kind of music you that would. you hear everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? What's interesting is that uh, it's almost like they don't want to develop any more of a sophisticated taste. Or maybe even that it's not so much that they don't. You, would, It's almost as though that they're afraid that other people won't have a taste for fine music mm-hmm. or or sacred music. It's, um, it's kind of, you know, like consider the producers of Barney they're adults okay yeah but they got to produce barney as barney okay do you think they really like and get into the songs that they're putting on and you know do, right does it fulfill them does it make them i you know I, I don't think they get performance fulfillment out of that they're doing something for a certain audience and that's what the audience needs and so that's how they do it i almost think that uh a lot of times those who are really really trained in liturgical music they're taking a a barney like production approach to picking music for the mass they're basically assuming that the congregation is not going to get liturgical music or is not going to um do you think that plays into it but i a lot of times doesn't the choir pick this stuff well, they do, and that's the other thing that I've seen is that a lot of times when you've got a like a liturgical music director and they've got a choir, and or even if it's a volunteer choir, a lot of times the songs they pick are songs that allow the choir to highlight themselves. But who would want... Okay, if they're in the choir, a lot of the choir members are people with... Um, like uh, degrees in music and well, stuff. That's true. A, a lot of the, that's true. the choir directors usually have an education. So yeah. you would think that even they would pick something more sophisticated, but they never do. Well, that's true. That's true. That's, that's, you know, I, I almost Any wonder. Any way you look at this, it's it really just weird. Make sense. It, yeah, that's true. There's almost not a, a good explanation for why, uh, Catholic liturgical music is in the uh, kind of the doldrums that it's in. Um, 
I can kind of understand the tr- the initial transition away from true sacred music that occurred in let, let's say the 60s and 70s uh and and I know a lot of this stuff you know when I was in grade school um we were you know there was like this kind of post Vatican II this early post Vatican II and this introduction of a lot of things that we didn't really do before like having an actual band at the church with a guitar and stuff like that. And so there was this selection of music that was kind of suited for that kind of arrangement and that kind of presentation. And it tended to be uh, a little bit snappier maybe and, and jazzier and kind of like the, the hand raising sort of music. And I think that held that kind of came in and, and for the first like few years, maybe the first decade, I think that had a novelty um, appeal. But Could be. that doesn't explain what's going on today. And, and here's the weird thing. The Protestants, have you been recently to any kind of Protestant worship service? Uh, no. Except, other than something like Anglican or Lutheran's um like maybe one of those mega churches yeah no okay no. so um basically they start off with music and their worship is the music okay uh, and and your worship leader and you know what i this is my understanding of it and this is what i've seen and maybe i'm a little bit off on this so i'm sorry if i'm getting this wrong but this is what i'm seeing the worship mm-hmm. leader is actually a band leader, okay. and he leads them in songs. And then throughout the songs, he'll pause and say, pray for a little bit. And then some, oh, okay. usually a preacher comes in and actually preaches afterwards. Okay. But, so it's, it's, but the whole thing is, hey, let's get together and create something. That's our act of worship. Right. Now, I... And it's mainly musical. Generally, what you'll find is the the popular uh, Christian rock songs are what they are playing. Okay. Now, I googled Christian rock top songs. First one I came into, Breathe Into Me. Listen to it. This is how it feels when I ignore the words you spoke to me. This is where I lose myself when I keep running away from you. Just the first two lines tells you that they actually are praying. Okay. And there's yeah. a, there's just more depth to it than what's going on in the Catholic in Church. In Catholic churches. And it's sad. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, you know, even, um, even songs that might appear to have depth uh, in the Catholic Church, I mean, it's almost like the Catholic Church is afraid to exercise a like a theological filter on songs and say hey not only do we want you know good music but we want songs that are appropriate um yeah uh, there's a a song called lord when you came all right lord in my eyes, you were gain- okay. When you came to the seashore, you weren't seeking the wise or the wealthy, but only asking that I follow. O Lord, in my eyes, you were gazing, kindly smiling. My name, you were saying, all I treasured, I have left on the sand there. And then here's 
the the interesting line close to you i will find other seas now okay i i can maybe get a little bit the sentiment that the composer of this song was coming from uh and maybe as a personal act of of worship you know composing that song works for him but honestly it doesn't have that kind of, it doesn't have a place in a catholic church because it implies that that there's more stuff to go find with Jesus. Now Jesus is a traveling companion and together we're going to go find stuff and find other destinations and it completely sets aside the reality that Christ is our destination. Yeah. And you're and, there. You know, it, it's yeah, that's I mean that's we say the mass is the the summit of our worship so once we're there there are no other seas we shouldn't be talking about going uh, and finding until other you're seas. dead yeah well yeah and then right. when but but when you're dead you get an eternal participation in the very thing that that you're supposed that you're actually getting while you're at the mass right yeah i uh <clears throat> i mean we, we grow up in the Nova Sordo and um, I started mom became the choir director of the Trident Teen Mass here in Cincinnati right and I started going to that mass and bringing the kids primarily to hear mom sing that was really mm-hmm. the only reason I was going and you know kind of show support for whatever but I fell in love with the music there, uh, not just because of her, but because of the music itself. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I fell in love with the mass there. But um, now I'm, I live a block away from this church, and I hate driving on Sundays. So oh. <laughs> I, I end up You're, just going to go and, up and to gritting your Saint teeth and, yeah. and thinking, man, why can't everybody get it? And no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. You know, um, the church we go to is, is uh, 15 minutes away, and they have a Mass that's at a real convenient time on Saturday. It's 5 o'clock Mass, and it's, uh, it's, it's one of these folk guitar Masses. Uh, now, the folk, I guess, could be a little bit downplayed. Uh, you know, it's, it's not as bad as some other so-called folk masses that I've been to, but it's a guitar mass and it's kind of a folky guitar mass. But, you know, I, and I I don't know if, if you're like this, uh, about guitars particularly, but, but for me, I mean, I love the guitar. I love hearing guitar and guitar music. And I think there's really cool guitar music out there, but it, it just doesn't work as sacred music. And every time I'm at mass and they've got this guitar going, I kind of uh, feel the same way I would feel if, if like if I were getting this dinner, uh, this like super expensive um, prime steak dinner with wine and stuff like that. Uh, not, not like the uh, Texas roadhouse, but, but more like the $60 an entree type of restaurant except except if they're serving the dinner on paper plates and the wine is being served in solo cups 
it's that kind of a thing when when the guitar's going. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. I it it might be that the guitar adds to that uh for me. I I could put up with the guitar um but it's the lyrics and the melodies themselves that bother me so much. And then on mm-hmm. top of that the Just the attitude of the people around me who take it so seriously. Oh, and it's yeah. like, is this like how they, deep you go? Really? They get this? into it. Yeah, they're so into such a shallow song. It, I'm yeah. flabbergasted by it. I mean, this is the Catholic Church. We've got mm-hmm. two thousand years plus all the Judaic traditions. Yeah, yeah. And, Why and are and we this doing this? We've got exactly. Exactly. Well, I have you know, nothing I really... against Bob Dylan, but there's yeah. a time and place for it, and the <laughs> that's right. The mass is not it. Mass. <laughs> um, well, you know, I really think that there is a, uh, and and I don't know whether this is something that that preceded Vatican II and and Vatican II just gave expression to it, or if it's something that was permitted to develop after Vatican II, but I think that there's a serious failure to appreciate what the Mass is that allows Catholics to just completely miss the music, miss, you know, in terms of missing a target, they, they, they're missing what the music should be doing during the Mass. Uh, I'll give you an example. For a while I lived in Michigan as you know, in Farmington Hills, yeah. the church up there is St. Fabian uh, Church, and it's a fairly large parish. Um, they were closing parishes right and left up there. The parish didn't have at least some number, you know, like 1,500 families or something like that. Uh, the diocese was, was combining it with other parishes and saying, okay, you have to get absorbed into this parish. Or we're going to close you. Um, it caused a lot of heartache for a lot of uh, people up there too. Yeah. Uh, but St. Fabian was one of those into which other parishes had been absorbed. And so it was a fairly big parish. And the priest up there had launched on this program to try to reinvigorate the sense of, um, I guess, apostleship, uh, you know, of the faithful through what he called the weekend experience. And that's how he kind of referred to this, you know, our going to mass on, on Sunday. He, he called it the weekend experience. And okay. he had this whole big thing, this whole write-up. He spent multiple sermons on it. Uh, and the, the it was all an expansion of the idea that the weekend experience, he boiled it down to the three H's. And here are the three H's. Uh, the one is... Uh, hymns which is the music the one is the homily well that's his job he said you know he's got to take that one on and then the other one was um hospitality which is uh fellowship which is food um so he boiled down to the three h's the weekend experience and therefore the purpose of mass what about the eucharist well, that's what I, I wrote him an email. I said, Father, <laughs> you, 
you forgot the most important H, the host. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it even begins you know, with H. He wrote back, he, he actually d- did respond to me, and he wrote back, you know, this this lame kind of, well, you know, I've talked to the bishop about this, and he he agrees with and approves of, you know, the way I'm developing this. It's like, well, okay, the bishop approved it. All that Good does is you. tell me that, that the, the problem in the church is deeper than just individual priests. Um, so, that, so, but, you know, when, when you approach it that way, it's like, oh, okay, the whole point is just to make it popular for people to come. Which and isn't working. It, it, exactly. And uh, <clears throat> so I think that that, even though that's the most um, explicit uh, example that I've seen, um, I think that idea is infecting a lot of American parishes, maybe around the world too. Maybe this, maybe this, this problem with liturgical music is not just uniquely American, but I certainly, I think that attitude is infecting a lot of American parishes and causing them to make very poor decisions about what music they're going to play. Yeah. But, uh, so, it still doesn't explain it, though. Why Why are the people who get to pick the music happy with the music they're picking? Now, I could say for a guitar mass, all right, I can understand. You've got to learn the chords and you've got to learn the music, and maybe those are the songs that are easy to learn. I'm not sure, but um, isn't chant relatively easy to learn? It's relatively easy to learn the um, the basics. It's relatively easy. Um, it's it's one of those things that's, that it's relatively easy to learn. And then it's one of those things that you can keep learning better and better and better your whole life. Okay. I think it's it's kind of like that. But the thing about chant is that it's also easy for everybody to participate. Well, I never really could. Oh really? You had yeah. trouble joining in. Well, I see. I have uh, my experience with music is at the Novus Ordo, and it doesn't seem to matter which parish you go to; they're all the same. Mm-hmm. They're using the same books. They're all the same songs, and they're the same songs that I grew up with, and I thought were stupid back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then on the other spectrum is this Tridentine Mass. Mm-hmm. And so when you say chant. That's what I think of. Oh, and now sometimes I don't know Latin. So. Um, well, okay, that's yeah. You have to learn the Latin, and it helps to even learn a little bit of what the Latin means. But even um, for example, at at um, we've used Saint Lawrence as in a kind of an exemplar um, right. parish a few times. Um, if you go there, some of the times and throughout the year, they'll vary the musical setting that they use. There are times. They don't ju- they don't go into the Latin usually, but they still use the chant f- um, musical form for the English parts of the mass, like uh, the holy, like the holy, holy. And, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. So the, they might chant a holy, 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 or they might chant the Gloria or something like that. Um, they're still chanting, uh-huh. but that that and you go to other masses, and I mean, gosh, I've heard. You know, I've heard the holy, holy, holy sung as a blues song. I, you know, I, it's like, come on, yeah. you want to talk a, 
about a musical mismatch. Um, so, <clears throat> so even without the Latin necessarily, the chant musical form, I think, is, is relatively easy uh, to sort of latch on to. And, and once you're familiar with the particular chant, it's easy to go ahead and just join with people doing it. And it's a lot more uplifting than this fluff. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I think, you know, there are songs out there that the kind of the rhythm of the song almost, um, it's like one of those songs that invite, you know, you could play it at a, um, at let, let's say a nightclub and people might start clapping their hands or something like that too. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe nightclub's the wrong setting, but but you know what I mean. In a in a secular kind of a crowd situation, uh, it'd be like one of those hand clapping songs. Well, you know, okay, well, and I think for some reason people think that's what. Uh, it, I think people find depth in that, and you know, yeah, I, I don't I, get it. Maybe I. I what I start to wonder when I see these people is mm-hmm. um okay the people who are actually getting into this is that as deep they, as they go are they mm, capable mm-hmm. of anything more than that because it's to me I you know I'm just looking at it thinking this is so shallow this is so yeah. stupid yeah and then the other question is those people who are kind of staring off into space, if there were something more meaningful and more deep, would they engage? Right. Yeah. Because I, well, when I'm at church anymore, what I'm really waiting for is for it to be over. Or I've just kind of got my eyes shut, covering my face so that I can block out everything and try to pray. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's no in between there. Mm, yeah. And I wish there yeah. was, but there's not, because every time I look up, I think I just want to leave. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I I I get that completely. The uh, I um I, <laughs> I I look, you know, I go to mass and it's like okay, you know, the readings, the priest act at our church is actually pretty good and and. You know, he'll even when he, it's like he has to find an excuse to do it, but he'll even do a mass that has a lot of Latin in it, or he'll do it ad orientum where he, along with everybody else, is facing the altar. Really? So he, yeah. But, so he likes that traditional, you know, bent, but it's like he has to find an excuse for it. He can't just say, oh, hey, this is how we're going to do mass because this is the way mass should be done. Um, and I think that that's because kind of priests have kind of been told to delegate the the liturgical planning to not not yeah. exercise a strong hand, and they've I, I think they've actually probably been told by their bishops to let the parishioners you know take care of liturgical planning and stuff. And and the sad that part may have is been one of the biggest mistakes. <laughs> the sad part is is that there's something called liturgical planning. Mm-hmm. There should not be any planning. I mean, most of this stuff shouldn't require any planning, except a couple songs and you know. But right. uh, the the long drawn out 
petitions uh, kill me. Because oh. I feel like they're... I feel like that guy's looking right at me and 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 telling me uh, personally, I'm going to make this last as long as I can just for you. That's what it feels like. They're so long. It's like two paragraphs for each petition. There's 50 petitions, and yeah. I. Why are you doing this? And and half of them are political. Oh right right, yeah. Well, you know, and it's kind of interesting. The, the, and I went um, to one mass where they sang them. They sang the petitions? Yeah. It was wow. awful. You know what? I have not been to one where they sang the petitions, but I I was at, at uh, the same church in, in Farmington Hills, the St. Fabian Parish. They used to do, and, and they would come up with different things. It's like, they would come up with these things because they thought this was how you made a cool weekend experience. And then they would change them and come up with different variations on it because, well, it wasn't really all that cool. So they had to have the variety and the variety was what was yeah. really cool. But they would sing the uh, the trope between the petitions, the, the let us pray to the Lord, Lord hear our oh, prayer. Yeah, I've had that. Sing too. that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I've. I, 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 get, I have to admit, I've never run into where I felt like the petitions were overly long. Um, well, the, well, I can't I'm, say I never have, but it usually doesn't feel like that to me. you're actually noticing it. But, um, but you know, the th- I mean, it's like I'm looking forward to, okay, let's, let's get to the Eucharistic prayer. And then, you know, we've got Holy Communion. And in the meantime, there's all these little things like like there's the parts of the mass and I really want to go through the parts of the mass. It's kind of like for me, going through the parts of the mass is like a series of of uh, of doors that you go through or tracks that you run on to get to, you know, because because you're trying to contemplate when you're at mass and you want to bring all of your attention and all of your intention to this participation and so these parts are kind of like a series of doors that get you there. You you go through one door, then the other, then the other, and each one opens up deeper into uh, the sacred mysteries. But then they add this music to it, and, and we're not talking about the hymns here. We're talking about the the music that they add to the parts of the Mass for the Gloria, for example, or the okay. Holy, 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 and stuff like that. And the music they choose for those things is, it's like, it's distracting. Uh, it's it. You know, it doesn't sound sacred at all. Um, they take they they love to take the Gloria these days and turn it into a folk song with with re- refrains and verses. Um, I have not they, heard they, that. You haven't heard that. They don't do that at St. Martin's where uh, they'll sing the that first part. You know, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of goodwill, and then they sing the next part and then they go sing that first part again that's like the refrain no and, that would drive <clears throat> me crazy but yeah it is, i'd come it, close it, to walking out crazy. of that that's it would it's it, it's like you know they they turned it into a folk song instead of a prayer yeah, just get on with the mass <clears throat> yeah and so then you get to communion it's okay so you could receive communion now you want to put yourself in the presence of you know, the eternal mass, the, you know, all of the, 
uh, saints who wash their, their robes in the blood of the lamb and, and the kind of that imagery in the Revel, book of revelation and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then you, you got this, these communion songs that they pick that don't inspire that at all. And instead make it really difficult to kind of put yourself there. It's right. like, it's like you're doing everything you can to keep me from participating in the mass. Yeah. So I wonder, is there, uh, is there an objective? Uh, well, see, here's where my ignorance of music comes in, because it would seem like there's got to be some kind of guidelines that can be put down on paper to say this is what um, liturgical music should be like, or this is what it should be. Well, okay, let's, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Vatican actually has written, the church has written um, specifically about sacred music, and the the main overarching uh, musical guideline for uh, the liturgy um, is a, uh, so the overarching uh, guidance with regards to sacred music is called Musicum Sacrum. Uh, and I just happen to have this up on my web browser, um, and I'm reading um, paragraph four of the preface. And this is just the preface, so it's not getting into the depth, but it says, it's to be hoped that the pastors of souls, musicians, and the faithful will gladly accept these norms. So they are talking about musical norms and put them into practice. Uh, and in part, and they refer to sacred music, and part A, they say, by sacred music is understood that which being created for the celebration of divine worship is endowed with a certain holy sincerity of form. So they're talking about musical form. And then part B, the following come under the title of sacred music here. Gregorian chant, sacred polyphony in its various forms, both ancient and modern, sacred music for the organ and other approved instruments, and sacred popular music, be it liturgical or simply religious. So they they kind of uh, go kind of broad, but there's there's clearly a hierarchy uh, of belonging to sacred music, and the very first one of which is Gregorian chant. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. I can accept um, uh, cultural music in mm-hmm. the Mass. I don't think it should necessarily be in the Mass, but I can accept that it will be because um, the Church kind of swallows up cultures so much. And if you go to different cultures, even in the Mass you'll see different things, which probably isn't the best, but it's still... I can understand uh, doing it but see the liturgical music here in America right now and maybe all over the world but definitely in America is not popular music it's mm-hmm. only popular because they keep singing it well that's true that's true and it's not something that's that like you don't necessarily hear these on Christian radio stations right. 
for example. I, I don't really listen to Christian music stations myself. I but, don't either, but I um, uh, was going to a regular prayer group, and that's how they worshipped. And that's why I'm saying this is how they worshipped. Part of the prayer group was this half-hour, quote, worship session. And these are the kinds of songs that they sang. And most of them, the wording at least, was fitting. Mm-hmm. I they were actual prayers. They weren't right. Uh, what God would say if He was talking to me. Oh, right. There's right. a word for that, isn't it? I I don't like like those songs that were kind of putting words in the mouth of God. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. I don't know what the song the. Um, oh well, but uh, a lot I've of never Catholic, heard a term for that. A lot of Catholics do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. here I am, Lord, and and. Uh, oh okay yeah yeah i know i don't know i don't know who's supposed to be talking on eagle's wings i think it's just a uh it's supposed to be a um an arrangement of uh one of the psalms or maybe some a few lines from various psalms because a lot of the psalms were like that they were kind of like talking it's kind of like poetry about god about us you, you know kind of a right. that kind of a, a sense to it uh and i just picked that up from you know reading the the psalms in the uh um the office yeah well the thing is um i think that it's great to use the psalms uh if you keep them in context of the psalm and not mm-hmm. take one or two lines out of it and turn those one or two lines, add a bunch of more lines, and make it your song. Right, um, right. Well, and uh, I've seen where they just kind of like mix and match parts. Like they'll take a couple lines from yeah. the psalm, a couple lines from Isaiah, a couple lines, you know. And it's like, yeah, it kind of, it doesn't doesn't seem to work so well as a, as a total, as a real hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but and and then of course the other thing that bothers me about that is uh, here's the thing you never see in the ancient hymns um let's let's you know the word ancient might not even be the right word to use but look at any hymn that was created and written down and uh you know made popular prior to say 1900 okay maybe even 1920 uh, so we're talking about all the hymns of saints written, you know, throughout the ages, plus a lot of, uh, you know, musical development in the uh, 18th, 19th centuries. You don't really see a lot of that. Let's take part of, you know, the Bible and turn it into a song. Yeah. People actually composed. They composed real songs. And the songs themselves made sense. They made a lot of sense and they carried a lot of meaning to them. Yeah, and it's, so, it's something you could think about. You could read it mm-hmm. without the music and then sit and think about that and get something out of it. Yeah. But since the 1920s, uh, you know, and, you know, there might be a little bit of shifting in the date that you pick, but there's been this, this kind of upswing of taking uh, of multiple things. First of all, taking music, just uh, lines from the Bible, turning them into songs. Second of all, uh, the 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 Barney style songs uh, that you were talking about, 
Uh, and then third of all, songs that it's like, it feels like you didn't even try. Yeah. Um, it's like, really, you're going to actually put that out there for a song. It, you know, it's, there's this one song that somebody even wrote kind of a joke final, like last verse to just to make fun of how musically mixed up the song was. I, uh, I forget what it is. It's, um, it's one that for some reason parishes keep using. Um, I think it's that one that, uh, Well, that's the thing. Uh, when I look at a lot of these songs. I think it's that he will raise you up. Okay. That's Eagle's or, or Wings. I, it used to be I will. No, no, no. Not Eagle's Wings. That's um, not he, he will raise you up on Eagle's Wings. Oh, but okay. He will it raise, used to okay. be I will raise him up. And then they decided, oh, wait, we can't be, you know, gender specific. So we have to say he will raise you up or I will raise. Maybe that's it. I will raise you up. Okay. So it's so it's 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 that and it's like it's like they 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 have lines that that you know they scan and then they don't bother to rhyme them and and then they just change the music up in one verse versus another. It's a it's like you didn't even try with this song. You know, you just put some. It's like you know, it's like you vomited music out <laughs> and then put it into right. a psalm book, uh, uh, a hymn book. Well, the um, thing is, I. <laughs> As I look at, okay, if I wanted to uh, write some parody music, mm-hmm. making fun of uh, the Catholic Say Church, church mm-hmm. yeah. and a church music, specifically modern Catholic Church, I don't think I'd have to. I would just lo- open up the missile and read it and because it's the, so bad. You couldn't. It's like. This is you what people would say to make fun of us. It's so you bad. Write parody music about it because it's it, it right. parodies itself. <laughs> right. It's I and so I I heard a uh, another podcast uh, last week and mm-hmm. uh, they touched on liturgical music and it made me think uh, we got to do one just about that. But um, I don't know. In the end, I don't know if there's any solution for this or other than for me to say I'm going to quit being lazy and start driving to the Tridentine Mass every Sunday. But it really does well, bother me every week. You know, you know, I do know something that would help. And, and the church could do this. We couldn't do it, but the church could do this. Yeah. And it's this, and and here's where I was going with my description of these these you know the these different trends that came in since the 20s. Well, what's the other thing that started attaching to liturgical music since the 20s? It's copyright. Yeah. All these songs that we sing since the 20s, they're copyrighted. They're not right. in the public domain, and publishers who print them and distribute them in their songbooks have to pay the copyright holder some kind of royalty to print and publish these songs in their songbooks. Yeah. And the, you know, dad, uh, you know, when he, he, he did office um, uh, machine repair, uh, you know, copier repair and stuff, and he'd go to these different places of business and that kind of stuff. And he told me once about a place that he went and he said the place was actually, uh, it was like a, 
um, like a, I don't know what you would call it, call it a factory. I don't know. Mm-hmm. For church music, people, they, you okay. know, they had people a sitting printer. at desks. Huh? A printer for? No, 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 no. A manufacturer of the music compositions. People oh. sitting at desks hooked to their computers whose job it was to compose church songs. And then presumably they would send them off and it would go through some kind of filter. Somebody else would well, maybe that's uh, the problem. make some kind of judgment about it and decide whether it's good or not. And that's the thing. All of these songs in the modern age have this mass-produced feel about them. Yeah. But here's the thing. If the church decided, and I think there's good reason for this, uh, aside from the, the, uh, the effect of, of improving the music, mm-hmm. if the church decided that copyrighted material had no place in the mass, then the songs we use in mass, first of all, would in- instantaneously improve just yeah. because a whole lot of the stupid ones would be you know, out of the out of the running. And then the people who were serious about wanting to write songs for the mass would be actually doing that. It would be a labor of love. They're yeah. not looking to make money. They're not looking for copyright. And only people who are actually good at doing that would do it. Well, you know what else could happen is... A group of musicians who do it part-time could write a bunch of really good music and, and put it in the public it, domain. Yeah, just say, here, yeah. You, yeah, you can use this. Well, you know, that's one of my things. I, I uh, um, talk to my wife about, um, you know, we, we talk about, well, you know, if we win the lottery, what would we do? Well, one of the things that I always say I would do is I would start a foundation for people who want to compose good liturgical music, both hymns and the parts of the Mass. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, you know, it, it would have a foundation director. I would go off and find people who really know liturgical music and, and the liturgical musical history to be able to help direct, um, you know, what kind of musical development would actually be supported by the foundation, but it would actually support people who during, you know, if they want to give up some, some period of their life to, you know, compose say a mass setting or compose some uh, songs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the music that's produced through the foundation would have to be public domain and then just yeah. given to the church. So anybody could put it in any of their songbooks, you know, or, or parishes could just print it themselves. They don't have to worry about royalties or copyright or anything like that. That's, you know, that's the other thing that, uh, but, but it's the same thing you said, you know, people who actually know their stuff getting together and just doing it. But, you know, how do you, how do you inspire somebody to do that with enough, you, you know, yeah, to, to produce enough that that parishes would actually start using it. Well, it would be hard because uh, all the choir directors know these songs. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, they'd have to. It would be a ones. gradual thing. It would. It's not going to change. It doesn't right. look like it's going to change at all. But yeah. if it were yeah. going to change, it's not going to happen overnight. And first, uh, some priests have to wake up and realize how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, well. Um, I had another question I was thinking of, and now I can't remember it. Um, but, okay, I, I guess, yeah, we both seem to be turned off by the same thing. We've never really <laughs> talked about this. Mm-hmm. Like, out, we didn't... This isn't a conversation we've had before and decided to do a podcast on it. I just... No, that's uh, true. Uh, you know, we, we've never really told each other, you know, how we think about liturgical music. Um, yeah. We've or, talked or, about other things in the liturgy and irritating things, but not specifically about the music. So, um, I guess that's all I got to say about it. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I will follow up with one thing and, uh, you know, maybe some priest will hear this or some bishop will, uh, hear this and get an idea and start talking to other bishops. Um, and it's, it's my plug for this idea that about, uh, about copyright and, uh, use in the mass and it's this. So when, first of all, if we think about the mass for what it truly is, it's, it's a work of God. God gave us the Mass. He, he created it. And most of what's in the Mass uh, comes from you know either Scripture or the development of the Church through the Holy Spirit. That's also from God. So there's hardly anything in the Mass that we can say, oh, wait, that part is mine. You know, that any yeah. individual should be able to say that. So if we're going to take these things and put them in the mass, I think a, there's a good argument for the church to say, wait a minute, if something has a copyright on it, if something is you know, entangled in a legal system of any country in the world, of a company or an individual being able to say, wait, you need my permission to print that or you use did. it or whatever, yeah. Uh, then that particular item is not worthy to be in the mass. By by being entangled with that copyright, uh, it's uh, yeah. corrupted, so to speak, and should not be used in the mass. The mass should not have things in it that anybody can say, I own the right to to make copies of that, to produce that, to you know to pronounce it to the world, basically. Right. And that should go for the hymns as well. Now, to me, scandalously, most of the texts of the Mass actually are copyrighted. Uh, I yeah, think that's a big scandal are, in the church. Uh, I think the church should. That's terrible. I think the church should fix that. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, so, uh, if you, for example, you want to say the uh, the Holy Hour, um, that's all copyrighted material. If mm-hmm. you, what you can get a hold of is. Like, if you right, want to put an app right. on your phone, it's copyrighted. And it shouldn't be. You're talking about mostly scripture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, the, so uh, either get out of the copyrighted stuff, or maybe the church herself can actually come up with the own. translations and produce her own. Yeah. That would be the way to do it. And that would set us apart from all the other churches. Mm hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, we have the scholars. I mean, and, you know, we've done it, could it be before. school projects at seminaries. Yeah. I mean, that's, it wouldn't be true. that hard to do. Yeah. 
and it's not like we haven't done it before. I mean, various saints through the ages have done uh, translations of right. the biblical text. St. Jerome did his, and, um, you know, there's others. So it's not like it's unprecedented. They didn't need copyrights when they did it. They didn't do it in order to be able to make money off of the productions of the materials. Right. The church can do that. In fact, we're far more positioned as a church, I think, to be able to do that today than, you know, maybe yeah, than uh, ever before. 1,600 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Anyway, that's all I've got on that uh, topic. All right. Well, let's get to current events. And uh, did you know there's an asteroid... Uh, 3.1 miles in diameter. All it says here is that it's found to have been impacted by another large asteroid, 0.3 miles in diameter. Okay, but where? Are I don't understand. Close to Earth? Why is no? <laughs> it's just that it's the largest asteroid to asteroid collision ever recorded ah, in history. But okay. it, it found to have been impacted. In October of 2018. Does that mean somebody saw it happen in 2018? What does that mean? Oh, you know, okay. So, probably what happened is they were tracking this asteroid, and then one time they got a good picture of it, and it looked like a chunk had been taken out. I bet that's what... Oh, I bet that's why they're saying this. And then maybe they found another asteroid close by and assumed that uh, that's probably how that happened. Mm -hmm. It's a funny way of reporting it, though. Okay. um, Let's see. We've got a few more Democrats talking about running in 2020. Tulsi Gabbard? I don't know how to say her name. She's from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. She's going to run. Uh, she's in the House, I think, right now. And then Julian Castro, uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development from 14 to 17. So that was Obama's person. She's going to run. Uh, we still don't know about Pelosi and a couple of the other ones. Yeah. So, I, I think they're trying to find their Trump. And they're insane to think that they'll find one because... Yeah. Trump would f- is <laughs> is Trump. You're not going to find a Democrat. That's like when they tried to find the Democrat version of Rush Limbaugh. You just... Mm-hmm. It, it can't work. Forget it about work. it. work. Right. Because you... If it was Rush Limbaugh or if it was Trump, they would not be a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump really loves his country, and he really wants to fix it. Yeah. He sincerely believes in the things he's saying. He has a funny way of saying them sometimes, but um, <laughs> he thinks the immigration problem needs to stop. He really believes that. So So he's going to fix it. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Which leads us to uh, the shutdown. I guess oh, that's yeah. still We're happening. About the shutdown. That's uh, yeah. The, the, I think uh, they're saying eight hundred thousand government employees. Okay, out of how many? Out of a lot more, because there's yeah. a lot of them that are still working. I'm astounded 
that that well, many can stop working and us not even notice it. Oh, you you would be astounded how many uh, government workers that you know their daily work doesn't have any effect on the daily life of most Americans. They, right. But you know, there's actually two levels of, of shutdown with regards to the workers. There's the workers who who are still required to come into work, but they're not getting a paycheck. Now, they will eventually get paid for all the work they do once the budget is approved and and there's money to pay them, but they still have to come into work even though they're not getting paid. And then there's another group of workers who are furloughed, which means they're told, don't bother coming into work, and you're not going to get a paycheck because you're not working, and once we're approved, uh, you'll come back to work, but you're not going to get paid for those days that you weren't working. Okay. That has happened for the first time ever. The furlough. In this, yes. Okay. In this, okay. this specific shutdown. It's never happened in another shutdown before now. Okay. I didn't realize that. So, so. but still, um, the thing is, look, there's a landscaping company here close to Cincinnati that I worked at when I was... I don't know. I must have been 20 something. I had just gotten married. And so I went in to be a foreman on this landscaping company. Mm-hmm. Um, half their employees were illegal Mexicans. Oh. How yeah. many Americans could have okay. had jobs if they weren't there? But he could pay them minimum wage. He did pay a minimum wage, but he knew they couldn't go anywhere and he wouldn't have to give raises. And there was no competition. So if you're paying someone minimum wage, you know, eventually that person finds someone who pays more than minimum wage, and then you lose a worker. That's not a danger when you're hiring illegals. Yeah. And you, a lot of them get have, paid even less than that. But he did pay sort a minimum. Of a captive slave labor. Right. Well, you know, and, and there's, the, I mean, you know, people use that. Okay, it's one thing for, for the workers who, who willingly come to the country and then they you know often they might even come on a legitimate visa and then just overstay and not bother to go back home uh not renew their visas um and and so they you know they get jobs like that to to make money or whatever so they're kind of a they're you know a a sort of one kind of captive labor but then you've got people who are smuggling people across the border but with uh, nefarious intent, the you know their purpose is yeah. to sell them into a, a true kind of slavery, um, and so having that avenue available um, becomes a detriment to the people who are being moved in that slave trade as well. It, right. It's not just about it's not just about trying to keep people out who would rather come here. It, right. You know. I was bringing that so, up because um, I guess we're made to feel uh, like we're terrible people for not caring about these government workers who aren't getting a paycheck, which I do care about them, but not oh. to the extent that I'm willing to uh, not fix the problem. Because yeah. the problem needs to be yeah. fixed, and they don't seem to care about the number of people who don't have jobs simply because 
there are enough uh, low um, low skilled workers here in America that shouldn't be here. Right. right. And and not only that, but all the uh, factories that have closed down and moved to Mexico and China and all the other places. Just because of their, yeah, Just cheaper be- uh, labor laws and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's, uh, hey, we got a problem here. We'd like to get it fixed. It seems like Trump's the only one trying to fix it. Well, not only that, but, but you know, that was this this project that, that is kind of like the... the key turning point of this government shutdown this time uh, this project was a specific and significant part of his uh, campaign right so he you know he has a legitimate case that all he's doing is making good on a campaign promise and it wasn't it, it he, not only know, the a American, key but it was I mean that's what people chanted yeah, the American people elected him in, you know, among other things, to do this. So to say, well, I'm going to just let it go, he's letting down those who elected him. Which uh, most politicians are fine with doing, but yeah, yeah. for once we, we've we, got one who's not. Who actually takes his campaign promises seriously. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's... Hold on, someone's asking for something. Yeah, so, um, I don't know, he's, uh, hold on, what do you need? Oh, under under the table. Sorry. She was asking for something, and she made a thing with her fingers that I thought meant lighter. It's like, okay, here, you're really going to stop me to ask for a lighter? And I look up, and she's got a lit cigarette in her mouth. (laughs) So what did she want? She wanted the dog shocker. Oh. <laughs> She's got to take the dog out, and we need to be able to shock her or else she yes. misbehaves. Right. So, okay. Uh, okay. I can kind of see you're pressing a button, but it looks like you're lighting something. <laughs> okay. So Trump is hanging in there, and I guess, you know, yep. we don't know if he's going to give in or not. Well, I guess we'll just wait and see what happens on this. Yeah, let's it, hope the, the Democrats... Uh, you know, get some sense and and say, okay, we're going to go ahead and find a way to fund this. Or we go to, uh, he mentioned that he could uh, use some kind of emergency uh, laws and just say, I, I'm taking this money, I'm going to do it. He can do that. I don't, I don't know if he can take money that way. He can exercise certain powers... I don't know if he, he can, can actually... declare a state of emergency by law and do and build the wall. Yeah, now they'll that... argue against it, and of course, if he does that, they'll immediately have a judge smack it down, and then it'll have to go through the courts. But I think even in that case, he still gets the wall. It just he has to wait a few months while it goes to Supreme Court. Yeah, I'll. If the Supreme Court justices are uh, loyal, this is like one of the wartime powers acts. No, you're talking about. No, the way I heard it, there was uh, some kind of state of emergency uh, plan for a president to be able to to have this power to do certain things, 
and the Democrats wrote it, uh, voted it into law right after Nixon. Okay. Left. Right. That's it's when they won the White the House war- back, and they thought, yeah. I guess that they would never lose it. Right. That's yeah. That I think that's is one of those those presidential powers laws that that. Uh, okay. Well, so he's saying that he can do it. I didn't realize I didn't realize that that also included um, the ability to move forward with the money because if he could do that, that in theory he could do that irrespective of the appropriations right uh, for the money in law to do it and then if that can happen then he can do it without having it approved in the budget. Right, which is what he's saying he will do if they don't come to an agreement. And then, and then, he you, they can move forward with a budget that doesn't have the wall, and the government shutdown can be well. He can, he, and he can get the wall. He could sign it, and he could sign it after he's done this, or he could continue to say, "No, I'm not signing it until you put the money in there." Even though I'm going to go ahead and do it, I'm still not going to sign this. Oh, I see what you're saying. They have he to wait move. for him to sign. He could move forward with the project and still hold out for the budget, uh, right? To to have the money for it. Okay. I think that's okay. what he should do. That makes sense. That makes sense. If he actually has those powers, I mean, why not? Because, like I said, they, I mean, it seems like everything he's done so far, they found a judge to stop him. Which I don't understand why he stops. I don't understand why he even listens to these judges. I mean, was it some judge in Hawaii stopped his, quote, travel ban? I don't know about I, that. I mean, why is this judge in Hawaii making decisions for the rest of the country? It, the, whole, uh, the whole separating children, quote, crisis, yeah. that's all over this, one federal the, judge who made right. some kind of decision without, yeah. I mean... Mm-hmm. Why is he deciding this? Right. And why hasn't it gone to the Supreme Court? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You'd think it would... It, yeah, why Why would it? You'd think it'd at least have to be a judge who's who's who has the jurisdiction over the area, right? So right. a judge you know, down in Texas or wherever it is that they're holding the, the, the families and stuff. Um I don't know. You know, know. maybe federal judges uh, are, are, you know, maybe there's there's a way jurisdiction works with federal judges that lets them uh, apply their decisions more broadly like that. Maybe that's maybe that's what needs to change. Yeah. Hey, maybe we should get somebody who knows this stuff to join our show once and explain. Yeah. (laughs) We'd have to convince him. (laughs) <laughs> Will you go on the show that has barely any listeners and spend an hour with us explaining what uh, you know? Hey, you know who who might actually know a little bit about this stuff is Ben. Oh yeah, yeah. And, he studied and, political science or uh, political yeah, he history. The, he, he worked in the state house for a few years. Okay, and, uh, and he's he always stays up on the politics and and. Who can do what and, well, and why they make it, the decisions they do? Yeah, yeah, I might, we'll try to get see him. If I can get him to join. <laughs> Maybe he can tell us why this stuff happens and what we yeah. can do about it, mm-hmm. other than elect Trump. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, that's um, that's all the current events I got. There's not much else happening. Okay. No, there's not. A couple of, of oddities, the r- real weird ones. Okay, so I found uh, the, the <laughs> there's a product called uh, uh, Kinder Surprise Eggs. They're, I think they're like little Easter eggs, you know, like, um, you know how the Cadbury egg? Yeah. Uh, you have the chocolate, and then inside there's the cream filling. Well, instead of a cream filling inside, it has like a surprise, you know. A, I kind of you know, remember like little, those. Kind of like Cracker Jacks had a prize in the box. Okay, So these have a prize in the egg. Well, uh, some kid uh, came home from, uh, a little boy came home from school. He had had one of these Kinder Surprise eggs. And inside the egg were some balloons. Um, And because the balloons... Is it a candy egg? Inside that, yeah, the, it's a it's a chocolate egg, a hollow chocolate egg, and there's a prize inside. That's what it is. They have balloons in there. Little little uh, plastic. Well, let's see. Was it actual balloons or no? Holding three balloons. Okay, it doesn't say whether the balloons themselves were plastic, but they, it had some balloons. Well, if it's a balloon, it's got to be rubber. Okay, so let's say three balloons stuffed inside the egg, so you can blow them up. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there's. So it happens to be three of them, okay? And because they're Kinder Surprise eggs, all right, this is a branded thing, um, It each balloon has a K on it for Kinder, right? Oh, <laughs> KKK. <laughs> so down in Australia, this woman <laughs> is raising cane because she thinks these are eggs are distributing me? racist <laughs> propaganda t- to kindergartners. Where? down in australia <laughs> how does she even know what the kkk is well i you know it's uh, i guess that's a worldwide thing i thought world. that was just american it is american but i think everybody knows about it yeah okay huh. <laughs> that is kind of i i feel sorry funny. for kinder it was an yeah. innocent thing on their kinder. part and now they're going to get excoriated by people. Okay, okay. Here's here's the stupid thing: is that there are there are going to be people out there who actually believe that Kinder had a racist uh, agenda here. <laughs> there are some people who will believe anything. You know, there are people out there who believe the Earth is flat. <laughs> We're going to have to do a show on that once. <laughs> yeah. Despite all the proof that you can go out and just see for yourself, they still think yep. the earth is flat. Yep. All right. Okay. So, uh, apparently, this is kind of uh, close to home. A uh, airline slid off the uh, runway after it landed into the, um, into the grass field. There's no explanation for why it happened. They're still investigating, but this was at the Cincinnati airport. Cincinnati? How about snow mm-hmm. and ice? Maybe you, it is. Have they looked it's, outside? It's, it's off, it said flights slid off the taxiway onto the airfield grass early Sunday morning. Um, it just snowed. It, it snowed like it, eight inches. I know, but but you know they 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 run trucks with like super uh, uh, super brine material yeah. or whatever over that to to clear and that. Then, it doesn't say it was because of snow. I mean, it wouldn't have been ice because it's really not that cold out. It says no one was injured. The incidents being investigated by Delta teams as to what caused the plane to so run off the ta- taxiway. Yes, it was a plane. Vicky worked for a little while. Oh, okay. Remember, <laughs> didn't they do something? What did they do? They withdrew 
some kind of support for Oh, did they? Yeah. And huh. Vicky was uh, answering phones at the time. Mm-hmm. Person after person called to cancel flights because, because of, of their withdrawing uh, support. I, uh-huh. I think members used to get some kind of discount or oh, certain okay. things got okay. discounts and they said, we're not going to give you the discount. That's all it was. They didn't save any yeah. money by it, but they lost right. a lot of customers. Right, right. <laughs> wow. I'm probably not supposed to have said that. I might even cut it out. I don't know. That's okay. Yeah, f- find out if if you can Should substantiate probably, uh, some kind of non-disclosure agreement about her calls. That's probably true. You probably shouldn't talk about the calls yeah. she got. You know what? Uh, I'll but, just but what I'll you bleep can do out is, the word. No, what I'm thinking is if you can confirm through other sources that did do that, then yeah, you can, find it. Yeah, you can bring up. You know, hey, by the way, aren't they the ones that that uh, stopped giving discount to? And I think they lost a lot of business over that too. You know, you just kind of make it vague where yeah. you heard it from. I'm not sure how I do it. I might just so. Leave it in. Yeah. Well, nobody hears this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Mom might hear it or something. All right. So I guess there's another one down in Texas. A woman was. Uh, <laughs> she was banned from Walmart after uh, police were called. She was driving around the parking lot in one of those, uh, you know, those handicap uh, shopping yeah. carts with the little motors and stuff. She's driving around the uh, parking lot drinking wine from a Pringles can for uh, several hours. Hmm. <laughs> a Pringles can. <laughs> I just the the bizarreness of the combination driving around the <laughs> the handicap at Walmart drinking wine from a Pringles can. <laughs> you can't make that up. <laughs> no. Jeez. Oh, that. Uh, so by the time that the police finally got there, she was at a local re- a nearby restaurant. They they went in the restaurant and told her she's been banned from Walmart. <laughs> They had to go in and tell her this. Yeah. <laughs> it Just takes a lot. Know, ma'am. It takes a lot to get banned from Walmart. <laughs> I've been to yeah. Walmart. <laughs> Those poor cops. <laughs> yeah. Somebody go tell her she's not allowed going to Walmart anymore. Okay, we're gonna draw straws on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Make Ernie do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. Uh, that's all I've got. <laughs> all right. I guess that's enough. Um, well, thanks for listening, everyone. And hopefully we'll actually be back next week. But you just, you never know. We're, yep. uh, we're trying to get back on the horse here. Trying to get regular. Kind of a regular again. schedule. Yeah. We need laxatives or something to make it happen. But uh, thanks for listening to a podcast about camping things. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys.